Hello, everyone. Welcome to Horn of Africa Leftist Podcast. On this episode, we definitely have a special, special uh, episode. This is pretty much focused on cryptocurrency. And with me is Sebs. Uh, welcome back, Sebs. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, I think um, you had a, quite a, a week and we're going to discuss your article uh, titled Blockchain Technology and Coercive Surveillance of the Global South, which is on Medium. And it's a hit. And you also appeared on the Black Power Media with Dr. Jared Ball. Uh, and a lot of people gave you feedback and criticism. I think your article was a hit and the response. Uh, and I feel like it's ahead of the curve and understanding how cryptocurrency in Africa and it's uh, how it's a new way of uh, enforcing neocolonialism. But before we get to that, um, I I think it's important to give commentary update on how we see things in Ethiopia, latest development with Tigray and the uh, TPLF efforts to pretty much make incursion inside a far region. Uh, that's the latest conversation right now. But Sebs, how do you feel about the latest development uh, firsthand before we dive into cryptocurrency um, the last few days? How do you feel about the uh, situation in Tigray? Uh, yeah. So I guess you and I were just talking a little bit earlier about the, I guess, TPLF or the Tigrayan forces essentially going into the, the Afar um, territory. Um, as of recent, and not so much like I guess to gain like territory, but they're they want to uh, they want to pretty much de- like degrade like the the the, the fighting capabilities, um, and that's I think according to Gajau uh, Redna who was saying that. So um, I mean, as usual with his very violent rhetoric <laughs> that we've all come to uh, be accustomed to at this point. Um, I, as far as how I feel about it, I, I'm not very good. <laughs> I'll start with that. Um, it just doesn't seem like it's a productive way to make peace. You know what I mean? It just, it just seems like more, ag- more aggravating, more antagonizing and furthering just more of rift, uh, whether it be, you know, with the people in that region or with the federal forces, it just doesn't seem like it's a, it's a very good idea. Solid point. Uh, on the other hand, we did see the, uh, on, you know, the Ethiopian Defense Forces or uh, different regional forces that are being that were sent out uh, from Somalia, Somalia, uh, Somalia region, uh, inside Ethiopia, um, Sadame, and other regions, um, sending out troops to pretty much uh, counter the current offensive by the TPLF. Um, this is a this is a question here as far as how do we view the current usage of uh, oppressed nationalities, uh, you know, like Somalia region, even Oromia region, they sent troops to this current offensive uh, against the TPLF. It seemed like even the TPLF used different oppressed nationalities uh, in their war against Eritrea and even invading Somalia. So it seemed like this is a continuation of it. But at the same time, there is like a historic, uh, issues with you know Somalia region against the TPLF. Uh, there's legitimate um, grievances against the TPLF that we cannot just dismiss. Um, so there are people who are anti-TPLF within these regions, and it's uh, cannot just be dismissed just because you don't like Abby. That's very that's very dishonest. But 
how do you feel about the request by Abby? Uh, there was criticism that this was pre-planned ahead of time. And uh, yeah, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I definitely think that Abby could have handled a lot of things, you know, better as far as um, with uh, like even the Oromia people. And I know he's, he's, he's Oromo as well. Um, but I mean, honestly, it's, it's more, I think it's more of a representation kind of like the Obama um, <laughs> the, the Obama years, but, um, but just to kind of speak on what you were saying, as far as the oppressed nationalities or the, just people who have been marginalized for a very long time, kind of their plight being used or co-opted, you know, by either side. Um, it's, it's unfortunate <laughs> and it, it just, it seems to be, um, it, it's, it's, it's being weaponized, you know? And, and it's, and of course their grievances are very legitimate, but it's unfortunate that it is, but whether it's, you know, being co-opted by the TPLF side or where, whether it's being co-opted by um, the, the hardliners on the, um, like on the, the, the prosperity party, you know, proponents, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because I think the, the truth kind of gets lost in the middle when you have like the two extremes. Um, but I, I, I definitely don't, I don't even know why Somalia would, would want to get involved uh, in this, but of, of course it, it affects them as well. But I, if I, if I were them, I probably uh, would would stay away from from this situation um, and kind of let Ethiopia just um, handle it internally. Yeah, um, I think the the involvement of the Somalia region inside Ethiopia, uh, the Ogaden region, Somalia itself um, hasn't been directly involved. Um, oh, okay, my, I misunderstood what you were saying. Yeah, my bad. I think that was my case. Oh, no, okay. I thought I was, I uh, was like, okay, well, Somalia. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Somalia oh, region. Yeah, okay. yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and, and that's kind of the Somalia region is always there to just uh, expose or just break apart this whole mythology that Ethiopia is just one language, one Amharic language speaking people. This, they all look the same in the image of the uh, aka Havasha. Uh, and the Somali region is always there to remind people it is a state of you know a prison house of nations. And Somali region was acquired thanks to the British who gave it to the Haile Selassie regime as some type of gift for his uh, you know assistance in imperialism in the region. But that's a different issue. But I mean, in addition to that, we did see uh, this um, development as far uh, as the Nile Dam, the Jer, G-E-R-D, uh, seemed like there's second phase filling up. Um, uh, on that front, how do you view it? I think it's, uh, it's a great progress, uh, d- despite our you know criticism of the internal issues uh, and handling how Ethiopia was founded. Um, Ethiopian have Ethiopian people have a right to sovereignty in this regard and filling up the dam. It is their own uh, choice. But how do you feel about the dam, the role of Egypt and latest development in Ethiopia? Yeah, so like that whole thing is kind of a complicated situation. Um, of course, uh, CC uh, in Egypt is kind of you know took a hard line at first. I think he might be loosening up a little bit now uh, because before I think he wanted to have the Arab League. Uh, kind of deal with it, deal with it, which wouldn't really make any sense, um, to because they they have nothing to do with it. But um, I also think it's going to be very difficult for Ethiopia uh, for for Abby right now because he's kind of facing a lot of uh, situations from all over 
um, and you might be a little overextended. So I, f- I think that Egypt probably sees this as an opportunity for them to kind of leverage that, um, which is un- unfortunate. I hope that's, I hope that they can work something out because, you know, at the end of the day, like it, it would, it would be great to have, to have the GERD and to have, you know, to be able to provide electricity for people, you know, and, uh, and then, and of course, I'm not going to completely dismiss um, Egypt's issues uh, with it as well. Uh, I, I just I think there is a solution that could benefit everyone if everybody could just kind of uh, put their egos aside, put their interests aside, and uh, like legitimately talk about it as a way to um, as as a, as, a, as something that could actually would be beneficial to the people. Like think about the people and and you know the, the, a realistic solution. <laughs> Rather than just like, you know, well, I'm not going to listen to Egypt. Well, you know, well, I'm not going to listen to Ethiopia. Well, the water flows this way because then it gets kind of lost. So I think if they go into it with like good intentions, there could actually be like a legitimate uh, fix to that problem. But I am I am definitely very concerned that Egypt might be leveraging the, the internal conflicts that are happening in Ethiopia right now in order to kind of get their agenda um, pushed through, if that makes sense. Solid points. Uh, you know, just for the sake of transparency, um, you know, prior to 2018, my view of the Nile Dam situation, uh, you know, when the TPLF regime was in power, you know, it, from the start, what was the motivation motiva- motivation, and factor for why Melazinawi and the TPLF led uh, or pushed this uh, creation or this development of the GERD? Um, the Renaissance Dam, um, it speaks to, you know, a personal uh, antidote when Melissa was in Cairo, and apparently uh, he got into some personal spat uh, with the Egyptian officials during the 90s. And during that time, Isai Soforka was present. And this is what he said in interviews, too. He said that Melissa wanted to punish the Arabs uh, or the Egyptians for their arrogance during that meeting. So that was the initial narrative, and I did kind of view that. I feel like the TPLF initially was building this to either pressure the Egyptians and so on in the beginning. But I think recognizing that despite the who started it or who spearheaded the Nile Dam or Jared initially under Melissanawi, it doesn't matter. At this moment, it is in the hands of the Ethiopian people. And... Um, one factor that we must understand, what's wrong with filling the dam? Uh, if Ethiopia can reach a middle-income status by having a Nile dam that can be exported, you know, export electricity to neighboring state, that would be helpful. Um, but the uh, there is a lot of factors why on the Cairo, Cairo side, there's a business class interest, uh, the interest of Israel. Uh, that's something that we uh, also need to talk about because there has been a lot of rumors and pushback allegation that Israel is supporting Ethiopia uh, on this issue. But that's kind of strange coming from Cairo. when <laughs> Cairo and Egypt have really, I mean, uh, Egypt and Israel have strong relationship. Uh, Egypt is importing gas from Israel. And this impression that Egypt or the current administration is some type of uh, anti-Israel regime standing on the Palestinian side is not true. 
and to make the suspicious view that Israel is behind Ethiopia, that's not true. Yes, Ethiopia is present uh, within Ethiopia as far as EU, uh, Abbey, but the allegation that Israel is behind this, it's a little of a stretch coming from Egypt when it has really strong ties. Uh, UAE has strong ties with Israel. So how do you feel about that? The role and the criticism about Israel in this, this conversation? Yeah, I I mean, I, I guess that's le- legitimate to a degree. But I, f- I feel like like when we're talking about the, the GERD, it honestly, it should be handled um, with Ethiopia, Egypt, um, even Eritrea, because um, I guess the, the Tekeza uh, River that does run through Eritrea and that does spill into the Nile. Am I correct? I think in, in what I'm... It, um, it, it is there, technically. It is but, there, yeah. yeah. Techni- but just, yeah. you know, just include everybody, and, and Sudan, of course. Um, I think that it should just involve those countries that um, it directly affects. And, and it's, it's not to say that there are legitimate things that um, Israel might be involved in, but just to keep it like um, just to, just to keep it uh, less convoluted, um, I think that it should just be uh, among those countries. Just just in my opinion. Solid points. Yeah, I think uh, that's the next phase right now. Is the f- feeling second phase feeling, and it's very historic. Um, so, I think the bigger issue, in addition to the Nile Dam, is the you know the results of the Ethiopian election. Um, it was not surprised that Abby won. Prosperity uh, <laughs> yeah. Party won. Um, but it, it, is there, um, you know, criticism about how Abby, you know, will not be able to maintain power the next five years? There's even claims that it will be a coup soon uh, and he will be collapsing, the regime will fall or... How do you feel? Do you think he's weak enough uh, to collapse soon? Or is this some uh, little outlandish claim that there will be a coup soon? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. I think that that's probably uh, what what they want to happen as far as the, and by they, I just mean the the interests that, um, that are, that are coming from the, from the West in particular um, at, at this point. But um, I don't know. It could, it could, it's just so complicated. It's, it's so crazy. Cause it's like, um, during the TPLF, uh, rule, you know, Menless would get what, like 95%, like 98% of all the votes. And they didn't really have much to say about that when, when that was happening. And, but now, you know, it's, they're like, oh, well, you know what, this wasn't fair, you know, this and that. And it's like, well, it, I don't think it's ever been fair. <laughs> I don't think it's ever been fair. So it's it's not it, that in itself. It's not fair to just blame it on you know just this election. Like it's always been like this. So definitely, uh, Abby's continuing the what TPLF uh, the centralized control of Addis Ababa, continuing what Menelik and Johannes always dreamed of an empire. The Abyssinian Empire uh, has won regardless of Abby or the TPLF. So one thing that. Um, uh, you know, before we move on to your article and just uh, give a critical analysis uh, of your great article, um, uh, Abby, you know, this he has conceded as far as privatizing, giving privatization to the telecom. Uh, on that case, uh, there's chatters that the um, 
those people who initially funded the, uh, I, I believe it's a Kenyan-based um, telecom, private uh, yeah, I business. think it's, it's through Kenya that you're talking about the mm-hmm. SAFRICOM. Yes. But, yeah, but it's incorporated in the UK, actually. And it's like, I think it's with Vodafone, um, if I'm not wrong. It's with Voda Family, which is like a subsidiary of, of Vodafone. But I'm pretty, because I remember looking into it, and it was like incorporated in the UK. But it's like through Kenya that they're doing it. Yeah. And, and it's looking like, um, based on the reports, the US uh, base fund. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you're right. It's Vodafone and it's connected to UK. And But the people who were responsible for um, the bid that won the uh, private uh, bid, uh, I think there's pressure for the initial investor or the funds uh, that were provided from the U.S. side uh, trying to use the whole TPLF or Tigraya situation to uh, pull back on funding the uh, um, you know current eff- effort. So it's um, quite interesting. How do yeah, you feel about that? Yeah, that is interesting. That's actually, that's kind of funny because, or uh, just interesting, not really funny, but um, I remember when they were putting on the sanctions and there was a foreign policy article talking about this in particular and how they, the, the sanctions need to be uh, more targeted and not affecting the newly privatized um, telecom sector, right? So it's interesting that they're kind of having a, a change of tone on that. I, I'm curious as to where that's coming from. I guess we'll have to see how that develops. Yeah, uh, Abby Carnosin is not that he is a neoliberal. He it is Washington dream ultimately internally. They never had a problem with him suffocating Oromia. He never. They never had a problem with this idea of uh, continuing the Abyssinian tradition of central rule. They only care about you know besides the neo neoliberal prescription inside Ethiopia. The uh, you cannot touch a Washington asset TPLF. That's the major uh, carnal sin of Abby. In addition to that, he opposes regime change inside Eritrea. Two things that got Abby in trouble. In 2018, there was whispers in his ear, different uh, actors from Washington uh, afterwards telling him, you know what, don't get warm to Eritrea. You know, the the expectation was for him to pretty much uh, isolate Eritrea and uh, go along with the regime change approach. Um, that that he didn't do that, uh, despite his uh, his neoliberal views and reactionary views on the Ethiopian settler state. Uh, he maintained a position that is quite contradictory to Washington interests in the region against Eritrea and Somalia. I'm not trying to hero worship him, but that's what happened. Yeah, you're right. That's a that's a good point. I mean, not that Isaias is anybody to really <laughs> want to make alliances with, but I, I also I understand um, that he was kind of, he was extending a hand, and of course, you know, Isaias is a huge issue with the TPLF and for Abby as well. If he, you know, he it would be, it would be beneficial for him if uh, TPLF would be kind of um, out of the picture, not you know, like not violently or anything, but. Um, like I won't speak for him, but just as far as like um, the the strength the the stronghold that they have um, on the Ethiopian economy, so I th- so I think it was like mutually beneficial for for both of them, um, and then I mean that's just the that's just the 
if we're looking at it honestly. How, however, um, I think that there, there are some people who are sort of um, maybe being hyperbolic about <laughs> the, the extent to which that partnership was or how it went, where they're kind of trying to frame it as though like maybe Isaias is the mastermind uh, of all of this. And, you know, um, I, I, I think that's just a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty strong position <laughs> to take, especially if, you know, we, we don't really have, I, I don't know how that would be possible. You know, just... that's true. Um, the, you know, the, the views of Isaiah Saforki, you know, uh, his position on multinational federalism is aligned with uh, Abby. That's for sure. But as far as Isaiah being the mastermind, you know, like the role reversal of Dick Cheney versus uh, Bush, that's not the case. Uh, obviously, Abby is very violent in different ways. Uh, it's not to, again, not to defend him, but he does execute on what he does he's going to do. Uh, initially, 2018, he went after the assets of TPLF, and they retreated. And he tried to arrest certain TPLF officials, and he did that. Afterwards, he <laughs> he threatens to invade, not invade, but um, if there's any type of action, he went after the TPL, TPLF actors, and that happened. Uh, so this guy, despite the perception that it is a science that is the mastermind of his uh, policy, in, you know, regionally, um, he does execute on his own. Um, and, and to his credit, he did learn a lot from Melissa Nawi. Uh, let's keep that, uh, perspective, um, uh, and emphasize that he wasn't, you know, he was behind the scenes learning a lot from the TPLF when they were in power. Uh, he was in Bidame when the TPLF invaded Eritrea. He was speaking about Bidame, Ottawa, like an usual violent Abyssinian. Um, so this idea that Abby uh, did not learn anything from TPLF or the Abyssinian rulers and everything is credited to Isaias is not true. This guy has studied the Medelec. He has studied Melesinawi. He has studied Johannes. He has a blueprint. Isaias is not the blueprint. <laughs> Uh, for he wrote him. a book about it, right? In his memoir, like, he wrote a yeah. book, like how he, like he was, he glorifies, um, or how he sees Menelik, you know, as as this mm -hmm. like strong leader, and um, it's, I mean, it's it's pretty problematic considering uh, Menelik was a genocidal megalomaniac who was working with Western forces to get, you know, what he, uh, what he, what he thought was right, and you know, he, demonizing the Oromia people, like seeing them as subhuman. Um, like these things happened, like and and this is the person that he, as an as an Oromo himself, you know, I, I kind of um, I don't know, just like idolizing this person. It's it's pretty problematic. <laughs> That's true. Um, I I think a great comparison you made earlier is Obama, uh, yes. and the whole respectability, not respectability, but identity politics. Uh, um, Abby is Oromo, obviously, but his politics. And his interests, his class interests, and his views is always aligned with the Abyssinian uh, settler colonial, uh, you know, um, pretty much people in the north. And uh, and that kind of gives you an idea, like Obama, just because he's black, did not really side with the pro, pro poor, oppressed black America and the indigenous population. He never spoke about how, you know, settler colonialism and its impact uh, he's always for the ruling class. He is basically white. Abby <laughs> is basically Havisha or Abyssinian. He is part of the violent 
settler class that founded Ethiopia based on genocide and enslavement. Obama is on the same side as the white settler uh, colonial people who colonized and enslaved Africans. Uh, that's a good comparison. But um, before we move on, do you have any updates or analysis on I was, Ethiopia? Uh, oh, I, yeah, I was going to say I, uh, um, Obama's, what did he say? His his only advice for uh, for, for black Americans was, uh, uh, you know, tell cousin Pookie to get off the couch and go vote. <laughs> Or, uh, you know, pull your pants up. It's kind of, yeah. That's something that, uh, you know, everybody that knows me. Uh, I, uh, Obama is the most anti-black president just because he's black. He does it in a way that is kind of like acceptable. It's, if you just review everything that he's done, he's brought in Jay-Z to give him this legitimacy within hip hop. Uh, he goes on speeches and say, oh, um, play Al Green or reference young Jeezy and this that that's he thinks that's all black people need is his cultural reference and then the policies are not there uh and he talks down on black america in smooth way and the black america <laughs> clap for him he it's looks so down on, yeah it's like it's so he looks down on black poor people and it's just normalizing he's hero worship and the cult worship around Obama is not ending to, even to this day. But I feel like it's slowly, tip by tip, it's uh, it's getting it's getting hit. Uh, like the Michelle Obama giving her views, and then and then bit by bit, people are being conscious. Like these people have a different class consciousness than us. They're not us. They don't represent us as a poor Black America or as poor Africans. Do you remember the talk down that he gave about Africa? Africans should move on from oh, yeah. colonialism. Yeah, he said that they need to stop complaining about uh, colonialism and um, take responsibility, which, um, you know, it's like, okay, I understand what you're saying, but the reason why you're saying that and the way that you're saying it while you're like expanding AFRICOM, um, it's completely ridiculous. Like you can mm -hmm. go ahead and, you know, fuck right off with that. Um, excuse me, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Excuse me. Yeah, but. But yeah, I mean, to go along to our conversation about Abby, it's the same thing. You cannot be talking about these rhetoric, oh, let's move on, let's unite. And you want to impose this uh, Abyssinian idea of what Ethiopia is supposed to be, an image based on Medlek, an image based on Medlesenawi and Menes, image based on people who committed genocide. The Habesha, the Semitized, imported idea of that is oppositional to blackness, oppositional to Africanness. This is what Abby stands for. And just because there's Western uh, imperialism, there's pressure, design aims against Ethiopia, we should not just disregard that. That's very, it, gets, it comes very complicated on how we view Abby. Absolutely. I just think that it's important to be honest because like we're not, you know, you know like I know I've, I've spoken to you about this. We've spoken about this where it's like, I'm not here to do propaganda for anybody. It, you know, I'm not here to do propaganda for the this uh, homeland security. I'm not here to do propaganda for Abby or for Isaias. I just want the truth, and I want the people to be okay. That and that's it, and that's the most important thing. Like period, point blank, period. So. Yep, I think uh, for any Eritrean Ethiopian or observers, the best thing you can do is take a principal pr uh, position on the horn. This is a word that I use constantly, but I mean it. Uh, when you look at Ethiopia, it's important to not take a hardland position on the historical contradictions. Uh, you know, make sure you're not against the marginalized, oppressed nationalities, but at the same time, understand that uh, you know there is some designs against the Ethiopia as far as 
uh, its sovereignty, its ability to uh, maintain stability. Uh, yeah, this is a balanced way to look at it. Even in Eritrea, uh, the how do you, you view Eritrea is recognize that you know uh, its position as far as AFRICOM, USAID, and other progressive things that have happened in the last twenty eight years are there. But at the same time, we got to be honest that PFPJ or even a size of 4K are not revolutionary. Uh, but we cannot go along with this idea of demonizing the Eritrean state, demonizing the Eritrean revolution, or anything like that. I think a principal view of both Eritrea and Ethiopia is needed beyond just hero-worshipping Esaias or giving propaganda cover for Abyssinians or the PFPJ or Abbey. I agree with that 100%. All right, that was a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm excited to go over to your article. Um, basically, you have a Medium page. Uh, it's growing, and it's called Solar Tsunami. Uh, it's on Medium, and we'll post a link on this uh, note uh, for this podcast. Yeah, let's go back to your article. You wrote a hit article called Blockchain Technology and coercive surveillance of the global south and let's just i i have a lot of questions and um you hit a lot of points uh and i'm gonna like bring in other points related to this topic and you know there's other pro state department activists who are uh trying to use cryptocurrency to pretty much do damage to Eritrea. but that's a different topic we'll, we'll like transition to it but yeah, let's go over to your article. How do you feel about the reaction? Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Rwanda, Kenya, and Ethiopia. These are key uh, traditional client states of Washington that were pretty much part of this uh, cryptocurrency, the digital ID, and the connection to Silicon Valley. Yeah, de yeah, definitely. Um, I uh, <laughs> I've gotten uh, pretty good feedback as far as uh, just people saying, you know, like, oh, like, I didn't even know about these connections, this and that. And I definitely have to shout out um, Allison McDowell um, when I talk about this, because she is probably, uh, she, is pro she is the person who kind of opened my eyes to a lot of this, like reading her, stat her stuff on uh, Wrench, Wrench in the Gears, which is a great blog. But um, she's, she's very up to date on this stuff, uh, among other things. But um, yeah, so it's, it's been pretty positive for the most part. There's definitely a few of the, the crypto bros who big mad. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> um, as far as just like, oh well, you don't know the difference between this and that, and you know, and it's it's like I'm not, you know, I'm no expert and I and I and I want to be corrected if I do get something wrong, absolutely. Um, but however, I, I don't think that they they didn't really have anything to say as far as the content um, in regards to uh, the the money connections. And who's doing what, and um, what the actual goal is, um, because everything that I, I that I quoted there or that I cited were primary sourced things. It wasn't like opinion piece or anything. It was more. It, it was like white papers, you know, like like official, <laughs> so quote unquote official documents. So there, there really wasn't much to argue um, from from that side. It was more just. Uh, that I guess some people didn't think that I was describing uh, proof of proof of work versus proof of stake, um, the difference as well. And and I and I concede that, and I and I will do better as far as you know, as as describing the the intricacies between that. But it, but I just that was more just to kind of um, 
give a fair analysis of uh, of crypto because I, I do understand that there are people with good intentions that um, may see it this way because of how uh, when crypto currencies originally you know came about um, the the goal was maybe different um, you know because as things do get co opted so so I do understand that there are like you know uh, well intentioned like good people that are in this space. That, that don't like the direction that it's headed in. So I think it's important to, to mention that as well and, and not to kind of just go in and say like, hey, like these people are all corrupt. They're, you know, they're doing this and that. Um, I, I definitely want to leave room, you know, to, for, for, the, for the nuance, which is why I, I, I started um, with, the, with the difference between the, you know, proof of work and proof of stake and um, just kind of those, those, those technical differences. Yeah, I mean, before we dive deep, uh, definitely as far as transparency, I do have a few coin. Um, my interest in cryptocurrency initially was more uh, the geared around you know, technology, uh, a lot of fluff around uh, its usage. And despite my leftist position, um, I have no problem saying I do have, I did have interest in cryptocurrency. But what you highlighted is the dark side and its usage. Um, you know, I'm not pretending like this is going to be liberating people or anything like that. But as far as transparency, I did have, uh, you know, interest in cryptocurrency. But um, before we pretty much push forward, um, you know, you, you explained the difference between um, proof of work and proof of stake. But uh, based on the interview on the Black Power Media with Dr. Jared Ball, which is really, really a hit, um, uh, you mentioned that Bitcoin is not really secured. It's not encrypted compared to uh, Kadona, right? No, no, it was the opposite. I think Dr. Jared Ball, um, yeah, he, he mixed it up a few times, but it's okay. It was, um, I was saying that compared to the other proof of work uh, cryptos, Bitcoin is probably the, not the most, uh, not, the, not the best model anymore. Maybe it used to be, but now it's more like, uh, I've been told pirate chain, uh, Monero, um, they're a little bit more, um, it's, it's not so much the encryption problem, but it's just the way that it's being used. And, um, and as far as like just Bitcoin goes in general, like you can't even mine Bitcoin. Like you can't even start mining Bitcoin right now unless you have like 250K, you know, to a million to start with. Um, so it is, it's, it's, it's not really, it's, it's not what it's, how it started. Solid point. Um, well, I mean, the, you mentioned, uh, Kadona, not Kadona. Is it, is it Kadona? Cardano? Cardano. Cardano. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just pronounced it. Uh, in addition to that, Ethereum, Ethereum, there's one and two and one, uh, two yeah. is pretty much the highly evolved one, not highly evolved, but the technology and layers are different compared to Ethereum. Uh, yeah. So, so the Ethereum, uh, like the, the Ethereum 2.0 is going to be coming on. Come, like that's going to be what Ethereum is moving toward, which is the proof of stake uh, model or uh, the proof of stake uh, uh, blockchain. So it's not going to be it's it's not going to be proof of work anymore. And which is also uh, another thing that's been happening with Ethereum is there's been um, Ethereum miners that have been striking and they're really upset about this move because a lot of people are going to lose either you know the ability to do it because they're not going to be needed as much or they're going to take like a 50% pay cut. So 
that's also that's also another thing with that you know like if you know if people are for workers right it's like uh <laughs> I haven't really seen that mentioned. And, and, I, and I do have a, a very good friend of mine who is in the crypto space and he kind of, he, he tells me about these things. So, um, and he's, he, he has a lot of integrity. <laughs> so he, um, he actually wants to, to do like his own, um, his own uh, block, like I guess crypto, but, but with the, that's proof of good rather than like proof of work or proof of, <laughs> proof of stake. But that's something that he's just kind of working on, but he's, he's got a lot of integrity and, and he does see this stuff as well. And he's uh, more, uh, he understands the technicalities of it a lot better than I do. And I, and I talked to him, but he, he was even the one that was telling me about these, about these strikes with these miners, because it's just, once they're moving to the proof of stake model, they're not going to need as many people. Like people become redundant because they, they, like, I guess essentially the AI can do it. And since with the proof of stake, you do like the verify and trust. So if it's like an official, you know, I guess if you're, if it's, if it's something, if something is official or they say it's official, you don't need to like verify, but with proof of work, you always verify, even if it's a trusted source, which is why it takes a lot longer. Um, and, and it's also a lot harder to scale, uh, which is why they want to do uh, the proof of stake because it's easier to scale. Um, and, and the guy, the, the founder of Cardano said that himself. Um, he said he doesn't really care about the difference between proof of stake and proof of work. What he's more worried about is scaling it. So, you know, take that for what for what it's worth. But interesting. Uh, I mean, less. I mean, the the point you made about uh, the proof of stake model being less decentralized, less secure, uh, more susceptible to cyber attacks. I think that's, that's something that's missing from the headlines and how all these uh, uh, coins or uh, all these cryptocurrency are presented, and you know the blue, the the white paper or the papers that they are presented. Uh, it's it's overhyped, and they kind of don't really tell you the this is what's it's about. But yeah, yeah I mean, so, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Make, let me make the last point of like um, the. So I guess uh, the main thing is it's like with Bitcoin, they use like ASICs uh, miners, I guess, which is what makes it even so hard to get into as far as um, getting into it. Uh, if you if you did want to mine Bitcoin, and then um, it's, and it's not so much that more and I think I made this mistake of saying more encryption meant uh, like more privacy, and that's and that's not necessarily true. Like more encryption does not necessarily mean like more privacy or security. It's more and it's not that proof of work and proof of stake, you know, are inherently good or bad or you know more private or more secure. It's more the mechanisms that are used to secure them. So like the layers of protection and. You know, whether it be like the Z snarks uh, for the pirate chain or the CT rings and self address that Monero uses, like the, the layers of protection. So it's not so much that they're inherently good or bad. It's the, the mechanisms that are being used um, to to secure them. So just to clarify that. Solid points. Uh, the next phase is pretty much you, you highlighted the uh, African client states, um, especially uh, Rwanda, Kenya, and Ethiopia. Um, you want to highlight that? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I did. I highlighted those three because um, the the technocrats tend to be uh, very present in those in those in those three countries specifically, um, and it's funny because. Like you, you look at the the history of those countries and who's led them and the kind of stuff that they've done and who they've cooperated with, and it's it doesn't look good. 
you know, that like these are the places that are kind of spearheading this, whether, whether it be, uh, you know, Ethiopia with, with their Sheba Valley, you know, their ICOG labs or, you know, Rwanda or um, Kenya. So, um, yeah, I think Rwanda has the, it's the innovation city and then uh, Silicon Savannah in, in Kenya. So it's just if you if you look at the what these countries have been involved in and uh, who they've been client states of, it is problematic that they are the ones kind of adopting this because um, they haven't necessarily, you know, they they haven't been that they haven't been angels. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and those are really key points that uh, I'm glad you highlighted, too. I mean, giving the presence uh, Paul Kajami and his connection to Bill Clinton, um, even the previous uh, Melissa Nawi and uh, Kenya. I mean, these are traditional client state, and especially in Rwanda, where there's heavy presence of neoliberal entities and different aid and developmental uh, support from Washington that is pretty much propelling this idea of African self-reliance that is co-opted by neocolonialism. Yeah, I'm glad you highlighted Rwanda. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, and even and like Kenyatta, you know, he's been, of course, like they've been all over um, Somalia specifically. I mean, all those countries. Uh, maybe I don't know about Rwanda, but I know Uganda at least. But um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and then uh, in addition to that, I think the next phase that you m- mentioned, which was really uh, interesting, eye-opening, is I didn't realize how involved UNICEF is. Why is uh, <laughs> The face of helping the children around the world uh, and its connection to cryptocurrency. Um, yeah. W- what's going on there? Yeah. So UNICEF has uh, the, the UNICEF Innovation Fund, um, right? So, which is a, the, the, it's a partnership that they did with Singularity University. Um, and essentially, it's at the Singularity University campus um, in, in, uh, in, I think it's in uh, Silicon Valley. So it's, it's in California. Um, and essentially, and there's also the involvement of Disney and the government of Denmark as well. Um, and uh, coincidentally, uh, Ben Gertzel, he is a, an advisor at Singularity University, as well as at the ICOG Labs in, uh, in, in Sheba Valley in Ethiopia. So there's that connection. And then the ICOG Labs themselves, they were, they're, they're part of the Open Cog Foundation that was, that was started by Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, that, that part kind of just blows my mind because, and, 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 and Ben Gertzel himself, he, so he's the CEO of SingularityNet, right? And SingularityNet is partnering with Cardano when they're doing, when they're putting these 5 million kids from Ethiopia onto this blockchain and it's going to track them for the rest of their lives. So it's just, I mean, it's just, it's a lot. (laughs) It's, um, it's pretty alarming, I mean, Jeffrey Epstein, you know, I, I, I'm not, I won't get into specific, specifics of it, but it means he's a convicted pedophile. Um, <laughs> so it's just, and you're talking about kids and, and I'm not going to get conspiratorial, but I mean, these are, these are connections that are, uh, that are there and that anybody can easily find. And it just, it's alarming to me that no one even like says anything about it. Like I, to me, that's like, that's like headline news, right? But <laughs> Yeah, that's quite uh, frightening. Um, the, I mean, all the sources that you listed are very mainstream. They're not some, you know, off the wall um, 
links and I appreciate your research. So I think I think move forward. You mentioned Ethiopia. Cardano uh, has like five million children that are part of their. Uh, I, I guess is the blockchain for Cardano. Yeah, they're putting them on the blockchain for edu- like to track their education. Um, uh, and 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 it should be noted that once you do get on the the blockchain, which is basically just a ledger, right? It's a it's a it's a ledger um, that records everything that you do. That you know, so whether so if they're putting them on there for education, it'll track um, their their progress, like their whole lives, right? So like something that you even did when you're you know in seventh grade or eighth grade, you know thirteen, that that'll always be there on the blockchain, like on that ledger, so on that distributed ledger, right? That anybody can have access to essentially, um, because it, it with with the proof of stake. There, it, it, it does make it easier for the whether whether it be the Enigma protocol that MIT came up with, where they can extract um, information like very uh, they can aggregate very like just precise information on individual level, where um, and then the, that that data is beneficial for them because you know since they are connected to the singularity net that does feed into this AI as well as the market for these like social impact investments that have been, you know, spearheaded by like these banks in like this, the banks in, in Switzerland. Um, they, the BlackRock, like d- different hedge funds, Goldman Sachs is in this, like University of Chicago and, and Bitcoin does have, uh, and blockchain does, I'm sorry, uh, blockchain does have a futures market, right? So it's like, why would it have that if, and it's just all these things are connected, right? It just seems like everything's happening independently. And it's just like, uh, just it's so far away from each other. But then you look at who's funding all of this and who is behind this and what the agenda is, and they are all very much connected. So, solid points. Um, uh, you know, to just keep uh, highlighting the points on Ethiopia, it seemed uh, based on your interview on uh, uh, Black Power Media with Dr. Jared Ball, which is a hit. Uh, you highlighted that uh, Abby, you know, keep emphasizing that he is neoliberal. And <laughs> it's a clear example how in 2008, uh, he, you know, his government signed a deal with Cardano. Uh, obviously, this was a continuation of the TPLF regime who was pretty much pushing this before he got there. But uh, he is in favor of these free market or cryptocurrency. Uh, can you highlight and give background based on what you uh, yeah. listed? Um, on uh, the Black Power Media, yeah. So, so Abby is a, he's a trained cryptographer, right? So he understands this stuff on like a technical level. So um, that you know that can't be uh, overstated because that's like that's just it. And he was and beforehand he was the head of the Ministry of Science and Technology, from what I remember in Ethiopia, and he was the the founding director like of uh, the Information Network Security Agency, and then he was also like the founder and head of the the science and technology information center. So he's, so he's like, he's well entrenched in this agenda. He knows what's going on, you know, um, which is like, which is makes me worry so much because it's like, so this is someone who knows what they're doing and who probably understands it on, on this larger scale. So, so yeah, yeah that's, that, that's his background though. Yeah, I mean, the, that's the assumption that, you know, uh, Abby uh, plagiarizes speeches. Uh, he's not very intelligent. Uh, it's not to give credit to him, but there's something there. Uh, so his understanding of cryptocurrency, 
he named his party Prosperity Par- Party. Uh, that's more obvious can you get. This guy is a neoliberal. <laughs> um, so I think another thing that you highlighted, which is a really interesting connection, is what's the latest development in Tanzania. The latest development in Tanzania, obviously, the previous government, um, and Gulf, I can't always pronounce, mispronounce it. Uh, Michael Foley. He, mm-hmm. Foley. he mm-hmm. uh, passed away. He has some uh, regulation, strong regulation, uh, despite these hands-off uh or quote unquote populist uh, policy that were uh, you know you know Washington didn't like that pretty much um, uh, heavy handed approach not heavy handed but going after elements that are uh, you know exploiting and making corruption with the Tanzanian state bleeding the the Tanzanian state for its uh, finance but it's quite interesting after he died the current leader she took she took power and yeah. What is happening with that? In yeah, so she, she as soon as, um, well, so for, for like, first of all, I won't even say Magofuli didn't even know about the stuff because even before that, they did the first like blockchain baby that they ever, that, that they, they ever had was in Tanzania. So, and that was a few years ago, but that wasn't, you know, on, on such a large scale. But this, uh, this woman who, who just came on, she, she is part of the, you know, World Economic Forum. Um, so she's, you know, she's well connected. Um, she is kind of pushing her uh, the central banks in Tanzania to uh, legalize a cryptocurrency as like as a as a as a tender like a legal tender as, as a currency to accept it, and she's kind of been spearheading this, and she's a huge proponent of it. So like right after El Salvador legalized it, she was like she was speaking on it. She's like, oh, this was great. I want to do that in Tanzania, and then now she signed a deal with um, not necessarily the cur- the, the cryptocurrency. Because she's still working on that, and she's a huge proponent of it. But she um, is going to have Cardano blockchain like infrastructure bring sustainable internet connectivity and digital ID to a hundred thousand people in Zanzibar and mainland Tanzania. So essentially, it's, it's they're offering them free, uh, not free, but sustainable internet. Um, if and I guess at a lower cost for for these hundred thousand people, if they would. Um, sign like pretty much sign themselves up or put themselves on this blockchain for you know for digital id and um and i think eventually that would include their medical history as well like their biometrics um like their education the property like with the smart contracts um that i guess cardano is going to be doing through um the the plutus uh i think it's they they partnered with i think another um it's like a the the Plut- the cardano plutus smart contract uh framework essentially so they'll so it's, so it's going to be it's it, it's data aggregation you know like just just kind of offering her people up like you know just um go ahead like you know mine our land mine our people <laughs> for data so yeah uh lastly before we move on the you you highlighted just on the show and the article as well the crypto pink tide in latin america what yeah. do you mean by that so right after I guess um, El Salvador go- went ahead and uh, legalized it, uh, made cr- Bitcoin um, a um, a legal tender. Uh, f- first of all, the, the the founder of Cardano has hit up um, his name's uh, Charles Hoskinson. He went ahead and he hit up the president of El Salvador and was like, "Hey, like you know, let's incorporate Cardano too because Cardano is better for the for the development sector." Um, as far as crypto goes, like it's going to be great for philanthropy. Um, 
so he's kind of working that out with with, uh, with the president of, of El Salvador as well, um, in addition to the Bitcoin that is now accepted there. But so like right after that happened, there was like, <laughs> I think it was in uh, uh, like Panama, Brazil, Argentina, Mexico and Paraguay. They all drafted legislation to adopt cryptocurrency. Right. And I'm, it, it was just so weird. And I'm like, OK, like and everybody's like celebrating. And this is people, you know, on, on the alternate quote unquote alternative media. And, and I'm not saying that these aren't well-meaning people, but it's just like, let's, let's look at this. Like, why is it that all these, like, what do these countries also have in common? I mean, aside from Mexico a little bit, um, I think AMLO gives some pushback. But as far as like Argentina, Brazil, you know, Panama's and Paraguay, like those are, those are very close. Those countries are very close with, um, with, with NATO, essentially, or, you know, just the, I, I don't want to say like the West as if, you know, that's inherently bad, but with the, with the nefarious and ill-intentioned corrupt um, sectors of the West. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, I, that's why I called it like, okay, it's like a crypto pink tide, but like, you know, a faux, <laughs> a faux uh, pink tide. So yeah, I mean, kind of yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Uh, I mean, we're not seeing this interest by uh, Venezuela or Cuba or even Bolivia. No, uh, it should tell Peru. us something. Yeah. Even Peru, but uh, you know, just uh, we, before I mean, we, I think Nicaragua has. There's something a little bit different going on over there. I haven't really looked into it, but um, there, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I have to. I, I don't want to speak on it because I haven't really looked into it very much. But I did hear that they. Um, I think there's like a strong push to get them on like blockchain or uh, uh, for them to adopt crypto, but I have to look into that. So I don't want to speak on it, but no problem. It looks like, uh, I, I, you know, I think the people listening, you definitely check out her blog uh, and look for more analysis on this because this is, this is the first article. And I feel like Seb's you will continue to hi, uh, bring us information, mm-hmm. educate people on this issue but before we pretty much transition to talking about uh, Jackson uh, Palmer, um, Edwin Estefanos, and uh, Eritrea, uh, I want to pretty much highlight that you put out this quote on there from one of the, uh, his name is Charles Hoskins, uh, Hoskinson, from, the, yeah. from the 2021 Blockchain Africa Conference. And his quote is, African nations collectively are not poor. They are in a situation where they have tremendous potential and real wealth, but that wealth is inaccessible due to bad systems difficult globalizing this is a person that is non-african and white and rich and speaking dismissive of the reality of neocolonialism the violence of capitalism the violence of uh what the african state have to have gone through all the years of uh you know neoliberalism the imf and world bank the violence in the 1980s uh, it's quite interesting, you know. Uh, you, you highlighted on the <laughs> Black Power Media and how uh, you can't, there's no infrastructure, there is no water, there's no. Uh, let's just let's skip all of this. The tangible, physical asset that the people need to uh, feel liberated, feel uh, you know, uh, human inside Africa are ignored, and we're jumping ship to this idea that the only way we can have real wealth is through this idea of cryptocurrency. What do you feel about that quote? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was appalled. And it's, it's, it's like, if this person can't even identify what the problem is, 
Like, who the hell are you to be a part of any solution? I'm sorry. Like, you, you can't. You cannot pinpoint the problem. If you don't understand the problem, if you don't understand, like, the austerity, the destabilization, like, like, like you were saying, you know, whether it be in the 80s or before or in, up until now, it's like the, 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 and the corruption that, that is so, that is coming from the outside and the inside. That's, you know, if you don't understand that, then and you just think that the problem is that, that the people the people need to be banked i i, I don't know it's like wow like what like way to just like re- expose yourself you know what i mean it's just like it's very exposing and this is the person that's that's spearheading this you know like with with in, in ethiopia and now they have a, a partnership with save the children um and specifically in rwanda you know where they're like uh, <laughs> i guess they're teaching refugees how to code you know and uh to earn money on on you know on as, as crypto like in partnership with uh save the children so it's like cardano singularity net and save the children so it's just i don't know like i just i can't imagine that someone who thinks that the problem is that africa just has had trouble globalizing is the problem like that's that's what he thinks that that, that person is the, it's the person that's going to lead the way it's just silly it's very silly Nice. Um, yeah, for readers, we'll de- I mean, listeners will definitely put the link up on the podcast note. But yeah, this that was a great quote uh, overall, and it just hits uh, the line. But yeah. in addition it, to that, you know, those like, sorry, those were like words that came out of his mouth, <laughs> and and I linked the video because I want people to like. I don't mean to cut you off, but um, I, I want people to, um, to like to actually watch it and hear it from his from his from his mouth. You know what I mean? Like to just get a sense of like what where this guy's coming from. Yeah, for sh- for sure. Um, yeah, the uh, article in the blog is available on her uh, Medium uh, page. But before we move on and finalize the episode, uh, something that's really relevant is the the tweet from uh, Jackson Palmer. Uh, before we speak on it, uh, uh, you, you can give a more detail on who he is. But let me just like quote something that he tweeted, which is really surprising, and it compliments and it gives serious credibility to your warning about the danger of the dark side of uh, cryptocurrency in Africa. Uh, He said on July 4th, he tweeted uh, for his main account, he has over 38,000 followers. And this is somebody that said, will give us, he is somebody who is uh, a voice within the crypto industry uh, and is very serious. So uh, July 4th, July 14th, he tweeted out after years of studying it, I believe that cryptocurrency is an inherently right-wing hyper-capitalistic technology built primarily to amplify the wealth of its proponent through a combination of tax avoidance, uh, diminished regulatory oversight, and artificially enforced scarcity. Wow. In addition to that, he mentioned, uh, the the next tweet is, despite claim of decentralization, the crypto industry is controlled by powerful cartel, a wealthy figure who with time have evolved to incorporate many of the same institution tied to the existing centralized financial system they supposedly set out to replace. Wow, wow, Sebs. Explain to the listeners who is Jackson Palmer. And this is amazing that he is pretty much uh, echoing what you're saying, the warning about cryptocurrency, uh, the dark side. Yeah. So Jackson Palmer, I think he was... um... He worked with Elon Musk on the on Dogecoin, right? Like the um, I guess that that was their the, the meme uh, crypto that was like kind of made as a joke, but 
Um, not so much now. Um, yeah, so he's so he's like he helped uh, create this. So this is someone who I, I you know I, I really don't know what his angle is, where he's coming from, why he you know wrote this like this thread that just seems to be uh, very honest. <laughs> um, but you know we don't know what his motivations are or anything. But he is someone in the space that like w- directly worked with it, like someone that I guess you know at one point thought it was a good idea. So when he's coming out and kind of and saying this stuff, uh, I, I, it's harder to dismiss. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. It's really interesting. Uh, like I think it's good to be apprehensive about his interest, but yeah, he's a big time player and he's giving warning signals about, uh, cryptocurrency and we'll provide those tweets in the thread in the notes. Uh, in addition to the Jackson Palmer tweet, let's, um, highlight how, uh, Oslo, Oslo Freedom Forum uh, will pretty much just focus on Bitcoin, and they're having a conference on October 4th and 5th. Uh, For those who are not familiar with the Oslo Freedom Forum, they're part of the Human Rights uh, Foundation. Uh, The Human Rights Foundation, uh, I wrote an article for Hood Hood Communist on the connection between the Eritrean uh, pro-state department elements uh, who supported Bolivia, COOP, and it's very uh, lengthy articles, just pretty much making the connection how Freedom Oslo, I mean, Oslo Freedom Forum is a uh, hub for all type of pro state department elements from Hong Kong, uh, Bolivia, uh, Venezuela, everywhere. So this is a place that people will come to pretty much engage in and uh, work to advance empire in their region. So uh, it's quite interesting how this type of entity is interested in Bitcoin. In addition to that, we've seen uh, Meron Estefanos, uh, who is a, a pro-State Department activist, who is one of the members of the Oslo Freedom Forum and the Human Rights Foundation, uh, making advocacy about pretty much pushing Bitcoin as a currency to pretty much topple, quote-unquote, the Eritrean dictatorship. Um, so uh, it's quite interesting that this is happening, the timing of it, and um, she did an interview with one of the podcasts, uh, pretty much, I forgot the name, but we'll post the audio here. That's the way I look at it. One is to help the people on the ground as a way of transferring method. And, um, and secondly, that investment. And thirdly, is to even topple dictatorship. Because if, for, for example, in Eritrea, I mean, um, over 36% of the population survives because of remittance. Uh, we send. And, and who calls, who controls the banking is the government. Who controls the, the hawala is the government. So the people that give money out in Eritrea are actually part of the government because they need our hard currency. So if we're Eritreans and other uh, Africans, whoever is that's fighting dictatorship, if they start sending things just via Bitcoin, that means you took away the power of that government. It's cool because without money, they're nothing. So for me, I look at it as a tool for so many things. When you're an activist, you can use Bitcoin for so many things, great things. And, and so I'm thankful that it exists. Um, and I hope more people learn. And in this interview, uh, she goes on to pretty much explain why uh, cryptocurrency is needed or Bitcoin is needed to topple the Eritrean state. Before um, I get back to Seb's, it's looking like this is a way to weaken the African state ability to pretty much uh, have some type of revenue 
have the ability to, you know, continue um, as a state and to maneuver out of there. And uh, I think this is the long-term aim of neoliberalism, the free market. You cannot have a strong state. You cannot have a state that will regulate corruption, regulates tax. This is the uh, this is the angle. Maron Estefanos and her advocacy over the years has been very problematic in her connection to uh, different uh, Western-funded organization, NED, and all this stuff uh, is there. And this is not something that has been made up. But it's quite interesting that's what's happening on the air chain side and why she's pushing this. But yeah, uh, Sebs, how do you feel about uh, the uh, Oslo, Oslo Freedom Forum and the Human Rights Foundation yeah. interest in Bitcoin and the connection to Airdrie? I mean, it makes perfect sense. Like it, it's kind of where that where everything's moving, right? It's uh, it, I mean, even Jack Dorsey was endorsing it, right? And he was telling the Ethiopia to uh, to, to make it legal, a legal tender. Like this will be great. Um, uh, I'm not even surprised that, that she's doing that because it would essentially, um, it would be able to uh, destabilize it, the, it, the, the, the state, you know, and, and not so much, and not even that, and this isn't coming from someone who's like, you know, no, you need the state, you need central this. It's, it's not so much that, but it's just like these nefarious people that are associated with, you know, um, with the Oslo Freedom Forum or the, you know, the World Economic Forum and um, Goldman Sachs, like BlackRock, and, and they're kind of moving in this direction, right? And so it's, it's no surprise, of course, that this is how they're going to be using it. This is just another way for them to kind of go around um, maybe the, essentially the will of like the, whether it be the people or the government of these sovereign places and essentially like kind of cut them at their knees, right? Like it'll just... It, it'll just make it easier for them. It's just another mechanism for them to use to, to cripple people. Um, and, and, he, and, and they're kind of advertising it as like, oh, well, you know, if you don't want to work with your corrupt government, um, then, you know, don't worry about it. Like you can work with us directly. And it's like, you are <laughs> directly working with like the biggest central banks and, you know, the, the world's biggest has hedge funds and all these other nefarious actors. And, yeah, but sure, yes, you are definitely for the liberation of of people. Like, it's it's comical at this point. It's car, like it's cartoonish, and I and and it's and I feel like the the whole just crypto thing or blockchain or this, it's it, they make it like a more complicated than it needs to be, so that average people can't even really talk about it without people like you know with uh, just like lashing out and saying you don't know what you're talking about, you don't know what this is, what that is. It's like okay, then educate me. But as far as like the money connections and stuff go, like it just it, it, it seems pretty nefarious. But, you know, if you don't talk about it like exactly correctly, then it's like, oh, well, you, you know, you're discredited. But it's like, OK, maybe they're making it harder to understand or to talk about because they don't want people talking about it. And that's that just seems like that's what it is, because every time people criticize, it's, it's never about like the every, everything else, like the, the connections and stuff. The, the the financial connections. It's always about oh, but you didn't describe the difference between uh, proof of work and proof of stake correctly. So yeah, therefore you know I, I'm downvoting this whole thing. <laughs> solid so, solid sorry, point. Yeah. Um, just... yeah, it looks like Meron Esfanos uh, is working to push a Tigrinya translation, and it just shows you how detached people are in the diaspora. It's like you can you, you, this this idea that hey. Nobody has internet in Eritrea. What is the like? What are you thinking here? There's no internet over there. Uh, there hasn't been heavy penetration of uh, tech 
there's not we haven't even reached 4G yet um, as far as the uh, the phone coverage. Uh, it's it's quite interesting that she's pushing this uh, translation to Grenya, and it just reinforces neocolonialism and its and its uh, effort to weaken the African state ability to govern, ability to just be a state, and it's an attack on the African state. And this is one way, clever way, uh, and people are slowly waking up to it. But uh, yeah, I think uh, what you made in the article that you have written uh, will be a great way to contribute to this conversation about, hey, there's a, there is a dark side to cryptocurrency. Um, but yeah. Just the blockchain uh, in general. And, and it's like, and, at the, and I, I do think that it's very important to like also make that connection with the new um, social impact, like development impact investing. Um, you know, because that, that all that data is going to go to fuel like this new market um, that, uh, you know, it's just like a new, it's just a new game. It's a new, it's a new market. Um, and it's the same old players. And they're trying to make it seem like they're including everybody, but really, no, it's just, it's, it's data aggregation. It'll feed into it, which will help feed into the market, you know, like for the futures market, right? And, and all these uh, bonds, like the social impact bonds and developmental bonds that um, are, uh, are, are being spearheaded by these people, um, they are all securitized. So it's like, oh, okay, so this is like the stock market. Like this, like this is just like, it, it's, it's actually kind of insane because it's all very much connected as far as just like the data goes and, the, and how it's being collected, where it's being collected from and what it's going to feed into. And then, like these bonds are securitized. So solid point. So if you're Eritrean or African, uh, the best way to help your people is to make sure uh, you understand that there needs to be infrastructure, there needs to be physical, tangible, um, you know, access to you know uh, the quality of life that they deserve, the living standard. So having roads, having clinics, having something physical that actually will help them. So this cryptocurrency and this uh, spill, like Sev's mentioned, is just another way uh, you're seeing very, uh, very suspicious or a lot of red flags and how people who are funding this uh, have different interests. So if you're Eritrean, please be careful and not suggesting or imposing this idea of cryptocurrency. Or if you're African, if you're uh, African state. Um, but overall, I think this is a great conversation. Uh, people need to definitely uh, research this information, read her article, and look at each resources that she listed. Uh, Sebs has done a good job researching this, and I feel like this is going to be an ongoing conversation. Sebs, any final thoughts before we end this podcast? Uh, no, no, I think we uh, we pretty much. I think well, this will be like a, an ongoing conversation as things um, happen, you know, because it's it's like um, it's just, it's something that's developing, you know. Um, almost on the daily where I think recently Cardano even came out and said, Oh, we're, you know, we'd love to be uh, there for Ethiopia to help, uh, to help them with the wreckage of the internal conflict. Like we want to be there for Ethiopia kind of thing. So it's like every day it's just something new and it's just more and more revealing. So we'll definitely, this will be uh, there'll be more of these for sure. Definitely. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, uh, I was really initially interested in cryptocurrency uh, as an option in the past, but given your uh, research and information and the different tweets and uh, it makes me look at it differently. And I'm very apprehensive uh, as far as application in third world states. Uh, but 
moving forward, I think there's nothing wrong with technology implementing it in the third world. Uh, if it advances the the poor without taking their data or exploiting their data, uh, you know, their privacy, just like what the Sebs mentioned with the blockchain. So, I mean, blockchain. Uh, but yeah, thanks, Sebs. Yeah. This is a hit. And <laughs> Dr. Jared Ball and the pa Black Power Media and all the people, all the folks that give the uh, this uh, topic a chance. Yeah. Uh, once again, I appreciate it, Sebs. And looking forward to our next uh, episode. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks. <laughs>